focus on the problem and focus on whether uh, there is a problem where someone actually cares about the problem and whether someone is going, willing to pay for you to solve that problem. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's also a patent and trademark attorney. I started my own uh, Miller IP law to help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today on the, ep- or on the podcast, we have another great guest, AJ. And AJ will tell a little bit more about himself, but he is a serial entrepreneur he made a uh, exit back in uh, 2009 on the mobile shopping space, and he has a background in computer science and studying behavior of uh, shoppers and uh, consumers, and uh, he is uh, doing some fun things, and we'll hear a little bit more about that. So welcome on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, uh, Devin, for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, just a little bit about intro on myself, everyone. So I'm uh, CEO and co-founder of uh, a company called Varel. And what Varal does is we have trained machines to watch millions of videos on YouTube and Instagram or videos uh, uh, collected directly from customers uh, to help brands and retailers uh, drive more revenue and new customers by analyzing or, and discovering video reviews, unboxing videos and how-to videos, or really any commerce video, uh, if you will, uh, for insights, uh, demand gen, licensing and content marketing. So. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, we're helping brands uh, drive more revenue with user-generated video content, uh, such as video reviews, unboxing videos, and everything that people are posting on social media. So we're based today in uh, San Francisco. We have a team of uh, 12. And so I started the company about uh, three years ago now uh, at uh, UC Berkeley, uh, which is where I met my co-founder, uh, Dr. Barbara Rosario. And so we started the company out of uh, UC Berkeley Skydeck Incubator Program. So if I were to take it, take it and try and simplify it down to my level, um, yep. it was basically you go out and see which user-generated videos. When we say user-generated, that means it's not a commercial. It's not made by the company, but it's, hey, I went on YouTube and said, I got this new iPhone. It's amazing. And then I drop it on the floor and it cracks. But no. Or I, uh, or I get, you know, the latest technology or the latest gadget or whatever, and I say, this is awesome, and I do an unboxing, or I give it a review, or I tell my friends, and I post a video. You kind of go and find all of that, and then help uh, brands and, and uh, people to be aware of that, and also potentially leverage that. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, that's actually just spot on, which is what's happening now is a lot of consumers are posting a lot of video content. They're also consuming a lot of content. So just to give you a, a sense, uh, the last 12 weeks during COVID, uh, video consumption and creation uh, is up 400%. Uh, video consumption creation was already very up before COVID. So 400% during COVID uh, is a lot of video consumption and creation. So what's happening now is uh, people are home so and people are shopping from home online. So when you can physically see or touch a product, um, videos are a good way to experience them, right? And that's because you can see the product, you can see the emotions, and you can see the person inside the video. So what's, what's happening now is a lot of customers are starting their search journey, search product search journeys on uh, Google. So you know these days when you type a product name on Google search, uh, it pops up uh, Google shopping ads, uh, pops up a lot of videos and more. So a lot of customers are starting their journeys on, on, uh, on, uh, on search, on Google or YouTube, 
And then from there, they look up, they watch a review, watch an unboxing video or how to video, and then they switch the tab and they switch and go to uh, uh, Amazon or whatever, wherever online you're shopping. And again, on the product pages, for example, with Amazon, uh, we're beginning to see a lot of video content now. So for example, so we believe that Amazon already has over 250 million video reviews on their website. That's mm. a lot of video. And what it does is video really helps customers who are shopping online make more informed purchase decisions because you can see the product. You can, you know, as an example, you know, if you're thinking of buying a mattress, right? You want to play with the mattress. You want to jump on the mattress. Well, what better way to experience that at home uh, than to watch a video? So videos really facilitate the shopping experience. And that's really where my company comes in is we help brands find those videos, find their happy customers, find the fans, find the experts who talk about their product. Uh, connect them with these people and then uh, facilitate a mechanism to license that content, a video or something that they posted on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And then we distribute that content, license content on uh, with Amazon or all the shopping channels. Okay. So no, that's I think that's, that's a, a good and helpful summary. So now I'm going to force you to go back in time. So as we were, at, as with the inventive journey, we always want to know kind of the journey that led up to, where you're at today. So now transporting back in time or going back, what was the journey that kind of started this all or what led up to this? Yeah, so, so to be honest with you, I come from a very uh, entre entrepreneurial family. Uh, my dad is a very successful textile entrepreneur. And so I grew up with, with sort of helping my dad with his family business, with the textile business. And so we were always raised with the mantra that you gotta own Intel, not work for Intel, right? And so that was sort of the mindset that we had in, in, in our house. And so I always say that entrepreneurship is something that it's a disease that you can pass along and it's, it's a good one. And, and, and because that's what ultimately what creates jobs is, is, is entrepreneurship and companies and innovation and invention. And I think we're, I'm really proud that, you know, America as a country, you know, we're, we're the reason we're number one is because of our, our mindset of, of uh, invention, innovation, and accepting mm -hmm. failures and, and recognizing and moving on and learning from that. So long story short, um, you know, I had, a, um, I grew up in Middle East, um, have a computer science degree, undergraduate degree, uh, moved to the uh, U.S. for my graduate, grad school, uh, did my uh, uh, master's degree in computer science, started my career at Lehman Brothers in New York. All right, uh, you're going way, you're, you're skipping over like 20 years of some of your best hits. Yeah. So, start, so starting back, so you got a computer science degree in the background, right? Yeah. And what was that degree? Or, so then you, you graduated with a degree, you got that as a background. So where was the first place? At Lehman Brothers. And the reason I chose Wall Street, and this is, this is way back. <laughs> I don't want to give away my age by telling you when, but um, uh, essentially the reason I chose investment banking is because you want to know how money moves. And that's where I started building my network. Because I knew at some point, I, someday I wanted to start a business. So I was at Lehman for a couple of years. Uh, then I left, uh, went to, ended up going to business school in the Boston area. And then while I was in business school at Babson, I founded my first company, which was a mobile shopping app company called uh, Motive Media. Hmm. So we built an app. Uh, and this is sort of when the phones were still sort of moving, transitioning towards smartphones. So the iPhone was just beginning to happen uh, between 2003 and 2009. So ended up building a company where uh, you could uh, scan and bag as you're walking around inside stores with your phone and you could check out on your phone. So that company, I was a CTO and co-founder, hmm. uh, ended up um, selling that company in 2009 to Catalina Marketing. 
which is big in the uh, retail transaction space. <laughs> After that acquisition, I then went to work for jump Nokia. In, jump in just for a second, just so yeah, yeah. That business, how long did you, or were you with it and did you build it? Uh, yeah, so I was with the company for about eight years. Hmm. And, you know, literally I was 24, 25 when I graduated from business school and I started, uh, I started uh, uh, Motive Media. And honestly, like I, it was quite a journey. I was the CTO and co-founder. I'd hired the CEO of MasterCard as my CEO. And uh, it was an amazing journey. It was the first time someone was, was, had built an app uh, where you can shop with your phone. So we were one of the first early pioneers of mobile payments. Hmm. And just to give you a little bit of a, a talking point here or, or a metric or a, a key stat here, uh, it's 2020. I, I started this in 2001. It's 19 years and mobile payments are finally happening. And the reason they're happening is COVID because people, wanna, people are interested in, in, in doing uh, contactless payments. Mm. So it's not technology. It was really a, a business decision and why things didn't happen. The, the NFC technology that facilitates touch and go has been around for over 25 years, but it was really MasterCard and Visa that controlled uh, mm. the transaction. And, and so it was a huge sort of a dispute fight back and forth between MasterCard, Visa and AT&T and Verizon, where AT&T and Verizon wanted a, a piece of the pie and MasterCard, Visa refused. Fast forward, it's COVID. And unfortunately, because of COVID and, and people need to do contactless uh, payments or transactions, finally, I think that everyone has given in and we're seeing uh, payments happen. And I think the huge advantage is this is going to translate into, uh, you know, uh, contactless ticketing, uh, even at, uh, for uh, your public transportation, uh, airlines. I mean, airlines, it was already happening. But I think I see it's amazing. It takes 19 years sometimes for things to happen, uh, just to give you a a little bit of comment here, but long fast forward. Uh, at Nokia, right, one more yeah. jumping into. Uh, sure, and I sure. know you want to fast forward, and I always keep. Uh, sure, sure, back. please. But um, so if you do that, and you say so build it for nine years, and you start to get, you know, you, you're the first one in the marketplace. You may say, hey, we're a bit early. It took COVID or took some other things to develop before we got there, before it caught on. But what was the reason or motivation to say, hey, we're I'm going to get out, or I'm going to go do something new, or you know, why did you make that transition from that company to what yeah. else? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, um, uh, uh, you know, my company was, internet had happened, mm. but fast internet hadn't yet taken off, right? The, the speeds that we have now with both mobile and, and so watching a video, even like eight years ago was, was tough. Like, you know, you, you, your video would sort of break or pause, or would, would, you know, and that's because the bandwidth wasn't there, right? Mm. Yeah. And so, so I think it's interesting to see how, uh, you know, bandwidth changed a lot of things. Like if you remember, uh, early payments were uh, dial-up machines, right? You would hear the king, 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 you know, at the, you know, when they swipe the card. Now it's like, boom, you swipe it and it's all happening on the, on the ethernet and, and all that, right? So long story short, like, you know, I realized very quickly that first of all, uh, payments, being in the payment business, it's a tough business. You have to be in that business for a very long time. Like I said, it's 19 years after since then uh, when mobile payments have taken off. So we ended up actually pivoting from mobile payments to mobile marketing and building a shopping app. And, and we built an app where you can redeem coupons as, as you scan products automatically, right? Okay. So, they, so we brought the convenience factor, but I realized that in order for, and we had done integrations with different point of sales at stores. The mm. problem was um, in order to integrate with all major retailers, and this is like 50, 10, 15 years ago, when internet uh, terminals, ethernet terminals weren't around, it would have taken us $100 million worth of effort to do all that. 
the whole infrastructure around cloud wasn't there. APIs wasn't there, right? You literally had to go to a shop, install a CD, install the software, right? So all of that was when I realized that I think sometimes you have to just let go. And the best thing to do was Catalina already had those indications with their other, with their platform. So the best thing was for to do partner with them, be acquired, and then move on and transition into the next business, which is what I, what I ended up going to Nokia. So you did that and you said, okay, you know, myriad of reasons, looking at how you're going to build a marketplace, waiting for it to catch up, only so many people, all the things that then you're saying, okay, it's, it's time to make the exit, time to move on, we're going to do something different. Then you go to Nokia, you know, it almost seems that's the antithesis or the opposite of doing an entrepreneur, owning your own business in the sense that now you're working for a, a much bigger company, a much bigger yeah. conglomeration. So what made you decide to go to Nokia and what made you decide to um, go back to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur again? Two things. Nokia was number one. If you remember 2008, uh, 2009, 2010, uh, smartphone had started to conquer the world, but mm. Nokia was still number one. So I wanted to learn, you know, what made Nokia number one. So what's interesting is that Nokia was in Finland. So I did a lot of commuting between Finland and, and Boston. Uh, Nokia had, has had one of, or has, still has probably has one of the best corporate cultures in the world. Hmm. Um, you know, the CEO of Nokia at that time, OPK, would be in the same line having lunch with me or in the same line as us. He wasn't sitting in his exec uh, room and, and keeping to himself. And I learned so much about horizontal leadership, which is everyone can talk to everyone and you build things together and, and you respect each other. So I learned a lot about cross-cultural product building. So I was a global product manager for Nokia App Store. Hmm. So I ended up traveling quite a bit, uh, launching the App Store in multiple countries. I had a great opportunity to launch the App Store in China, hmm. uh, which is also when China was growing. Uh, this was about uh, 2008 timeframe, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember going to Goncho. Uh, and I, I, I kid you not, but there were 50 towers of steel coming up. That's a lot of appetite for, for growth, right? And that's what happened in China. Mm. And so long story short, uh, Nokia gave me an opportunity to understand corporate culture in a whole new way, uh, to lead a new, to lead launch of App Store, which was sort of in what, I'm, what I was, uh, uh, had, was attempting before with, with, uh, uh, with uh, my startup before. And then the other thing was Nokia at that time had, more than 3 billion phones or customers around the world. Mm-hmm. And what better, and for me, since I had the background in mobile payments, I'm like, what better than perhaps to make it happen at Nokia? And maybe I'm leading that project, right? Mm-hmm. For other reasons, payments didn't take off. And it wasn't Nokia, like I said, it wasn't Nokia alone. It was Visa, Mastercard and other issues. But uh, so that was one. And then an opportunity to travel. Uh, and then the third thing is also, you know, sometimes you have to take a pause and reflect on your life. You can't just, I don't want to just move, jump from one startup to another startup without taking a, a timeout and saying, hey, what did I do before? What did I accomplish? Right. And did I do the right thing? Right. So Nokia also gave me a little bit of a pause in my life. I mean, running your own company versus working for someone, it's day and night. I didn't have to worry about payroll with at Nokia. And Nokia treated me really well, really well. I can't complain. Uh, one of the best companies ever. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So then he did, so he did all that, went and traveled the world, so to speak, did all that with Nokia, had the resources of, a, first of all, a great company, treats their employees well, as well as, you know, probably going to do a lot of fun things with them. Then how did you make the transition back to uh, where you're at now or the company getting started and what made you decide to leave Nokia? What made you decide to go into this space and how did that all come So about? I was always in Boston, uh, uh, I was posted in Boston for Nokia um, and I always wanted to move to the Bay Area for many reasons. Uh, family, I had family here in the Bay Area, 
uh, personal reasons as well. Uh, but what happened was uh, uh, UC Berkeley uh, High School of Business found out that I'd left Nokia and I'd always loved to teach. I've, I've done a lot of uh, uh, teaching. I love giving back. And my way of giving back is doing a lot of talks about entrepreneurship. I can talk about everything from venture capital to building your team to culture. Mm. So uh, uh, UC Berkeley Haas was looking for uh, a, a part-time faculty who could lead a class on entrepreneurship, who was young and who had been there, done that. Mm. And so my, they reached out to my ex-professor uh, at Babson and said, hey, you know, we, we, uh, we believe you know Ajay and we would be interested in perhaps if he's interested in coming and teach at Haas. Mm. And I said, wow, wait a minute. Um, I get to teach my passion. I like to, I want to give back. And I get to network with one of the, in the, one of the top networks in the Bay Area, which I mean, what better than UC Berkeley? Mm. Meet the top faculty, meet the best students, get, get access to the best research in many areas. And mm. perhaps that's where I'll start my next company. So I moved from Boston to uh, UC Berkeley, uh, became a professor, a part-time or lecturer uh, from 2012 onwards uh, for uh, three and a half years. I taught the entrepreneurship, undergraduate entrepreneurship class uh, with, for, uh, there were 300 students in my class. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, that was a very humbling experience teaching 300 students. My first day, I remember I almost cried. <laughs> it's, one, it's one thing doing an online teaching video uh, it's another, sorry, my light just, <laughs> the sensor just uh, went off. Um, and um, uh, honestly, like, um, I learned a lot teaching three years. Uh, you know, it's, I finally had respect for my, my own teachers. I realized that, you know, students these days, they, are, they, have, they want a response within 10 seconds. It doesn't happen that way, Right. So very, it was a very interesting experience, but that's where I met my co-founder and I was thinking what's next in mobile e-commerce and marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that I started noticing that a lot of us uh, consumers were watching videos before they shopped. And I began to do a bit of market research, uh, started speaking to uh, brands, retailers, uh, and agencies. Mm-hmm. And I asked them a very simple question. What is your next business challenge at the intersection of mobile e-commerce and marketing? And everyone said video, video. Um, you know, a brand like L'Oreal or BMW, they have more than 10 to 15 million videos just on YouTube. Mm. So how do you understand video? How do you know who's talking uh, about what car or what, what beauty product? How do you know who made the best review? And if someone made a great review, wouldn't you want to leverage that for marketing? Absolutely, right? I mean, most marketers are daily looking for content, for creating content, producing content. They're looking for uh, virality. And there's no other content media than video that drives, I mean, I don't even have to say more, right? Mm-hmm. We're seeing videos left and right, TikTok videos, uh, all kinds of videos everywhere. You know, even so, I mean, from politicians to consumers, everyone is making videos. So if I were to take that, so if I were to summarize, so you went in, kind of did the work, UC Berkeley, did them for a while, made that, you know, use that, utilize that as a re- learning resource, as well as to also kind of figure out new ideas and or places to take the next startup and that. You come up with the idea, okay, now we're going to go into videos. Videos is kind of the intersection between, you know, marketing and businesses and coming up with ideas and connecting consumers with brands and everything else. So you do all of that. You come up with that idea. Then how do you turn that into a business? So how did you come up with, you know, what you're doing now with Viril and how you actually go about building that from the concept to the actual company? 
Yeah, so you know, I quickly realized that the 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 space in order to analyze videos, uh, AI was coming about. Right, AI was the big buzzword, uh, or has been the big buzzword for the last uh, four years. Mm. Uh, finally, AI is finally here. What me what I mean by that is, uh, you can solve interesting problems with AI, mm-hmm. and the reason you can do that is because the cost of computing uh, an AI problem has essentially it's it's come down, or it's it's something that you can materialize and you can capture value and you can and so essentially it's now uh, we you can now process millions of videos and make a profit bottom line that's that's really what i what i meant to say and that's doable now because now there's a lot of chips nvidia intel uh, mm. apple they've come out with chips or even google is now in the chip business and they you can they have they're producing chips now we can do certain ai tasks if, for example in our case it's image recognition or rec- recognizing products inside a video right so it's all about timing, right? It's all about, you know, will the customer, well, is there a problem first? Well, there is a problem. A lot of people are making videos and a lot of people are screaming inside videos. So if, if, a, if someone makes a very negative comment in a video and the video goes viral, uh, it affects brands reputation and reputation affects sales and revenue. So it's very important for brands to stay on top of all their content, video content across multiple platforms, right? So, is there a problem? Yes, there's a problem. If there is a problem, how do you solve it? Well, we can solve it with AI. What do you need to solve the problem? Well, I need a team. So I met my co-founder, Dr. Barbara, uh, who has a PhD in, uh, from UC Berkeley in machine learning and AI. And she was also a scientist at Intel analyzing uh, text and video. Mm-hmm. So it was a perfect match. Uh, we actually came together. We started working uh, about uh, three and a half years ago on viral. And we started building the first prototype. In the process, simultaneously, we started talking to customers and our first customer was actually Porsche, the car company. Hmm. And they were interested in tracking all the videos from racing car events, hmm. right? And long story short, uh, uh, there has to be a need and there has to be a customer willing to pay for, for you to solve a problem. And so finally, I think it's been three years now and finally we're getting there. Uh, we have over uh, 60 brands uh, that are utilizing our platform, some big uh, brands as well. And we're now in a place right now where COVID hit uh, you know, as I explained before, uh, COVID has really, video has really taken off mm-hmm. and so really has, has our business. Like we have had a lot of customer meetings in the last eight weeks because all brands are struggling with this massive amounts of video. Mm-hmm. So our goal is, is even post COVID as we pass this phase, uh, I think video is here to stay. Uh, video is not going away. If anything, formats will evolve in video. I think today we have two dimensional video. It will evolve into 3D videos, AR, VR. But at the end of the day, it's still a video. It's, it's a different format. So I'll go ahead. So just to wrap up, how do you help brands uh, find relevant, uh, best content for marketing? How do you help customers find the best reviews that are sitting on 20 different platforms? That's really the problem we're solving. So at the end of the day, we want to help customers make informed purchase decisions. We want to help brands find customers. And we want everyone to be happy in the process. Oh. No, I think that's... Uh, both an interesting journey as well as I think a cool product. So I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, interesting things there. So light going. <laughs> there's a light sensor and I, I don't know where the sensor is. <laughs> All right. So you do that and you, and you take Viril or Viril and where, do, and by the way, where does the name? It's Viril. viral. It's Viral. viral. <laughs> it's viral. viral. All right. So I, I slaughtered the name of it. So I apologize. No, uh, no worries. You take Viral and you come up with the idea, then you come up with, okay, AI has finally reached the point of, you know, that we can actually, or computing has reached the point that we can actually use implement AI 
we can have that as part of, you know, we can build that into the platform and they can actually have that functionality. And yeah. then you, you build that up, you get the, uh, all of the brands, all of the people on board. You have even, even a bigger bump in, in some sense because of COVID in the sense that now you got even more videos generated because people have more time on their hands or aren't doing what they are typically work and other things. So yeah. next six months to a year, where do you see the brand going or the company going or how do you continue to expand? Is that more platforms? Yeah. Is that different types of video, all of the above, or how do you do that? Or where does that take you? Yeah. So a couple of things we focus today on, on six verticals uh, leading with beauty. Uh, I think a year from now, we see ourselves expanding from like maybe six to 12 verticals mm. uh, as we solve problems. So we focus very vertical, like we focus on beauty videos, automotive videos, electronic videos, and so on. So I see expansion with customers into new verticals. Uh, we're still an early stage revenue company uh, uh, under a million uh, dollars in revenue. So mm. I see expanding uh, of our revenue as well. And uh, revenue is one of those things. I think we're also in the process of launching some new products around uh, doing campaign management with video and also new ways to for brands to engage with customers with video on their product pages and with also with Google search as well with SEO and stuff. So we want to help br uh, brands with making an impact both at top of the funnel, which is search, and at the bottom of the funnel, which is the product page and the shopping cart. So today we have a very solid uh, video insights engine when, and, and licensing. And we're now expanding that to campaign management and, and a, a display of video content on product pages and more so we can increase, help drive more conversion and the process help brands, customers find relevant video content. So, um, yeah. So, you know, in short, and we're in the process of, we're currently raising a seed round. So hopefully the, the investment will close as well, you know, as, as with everything else, it's been a slow motion with COVID. Mm. Um, but we will be also plan to close an investment in the next four to six weeks. And to be honest, like, Video is the future of commerce, and you know I believe I strongly believe that viral will lead lead the way, and so yeah, so that's viral for you. Well, that sounds like a, a, an exciting next uh, next part of your journey. So, so if I were to take that, and it is, and we're reaching towards the end of the podcast, yeah. I always ask two questions at the end, and I always wish I had more time to talk about it because <laughs> the technology side we didn't even hardly get into that, which is you know that's the, the inner engineer nerd of me or whatever you want to call it that yeah. always finds that to be interesting. So sometime yeah. we'll have to. To talk about the technology side as well. Let, let me just turn on the light. Give me one second here. <laughs> I, I just want to keep your see you keep doing the touchdown, Dan. So that's there we even go. Better. There we go. I'm a, I wanted to make sure I, I, we end on a bright note. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I don't know. The touchdown dance was pretty cool. So we that might be the highlight <laughs> of the video. Uh, I always end the, the podcast on two questions, so I'll, I'll go ahead and jump into those now. So the first question I always ask is: So what was the worst business decision you ever made? So uh, bottom line is uh, sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, like I've made um, poor decisions of hiring the wrong person at the wrong time in the sales role. Um, and I think you just learn uh, on the go sometimes some of these decisions you make. And so what I did was when I did make the mistake, you know, I'm one of those, I believe that you have to learn and, and you have to get a mentor. So I have, been, I have a sales mentor who really helped me get through it. And then I also did some coaching for nine months on how to do B2B sales. So uh, I think I would say, and, and the challenge is with sales and at startup is anytime you make these mistakes with sales, uh, you're losing time, right? Because sales is the most important thing and revenue is more, most important for, uh, for startups. So I've had my share of mistakes with, with sales, sales hiring. And I think the, excuse me, um, one of the things that, you know, too often startups and, and all businesses of all sizes think, if I just got the right sales guy, 
it would take off and it'd be perfect. I just need to find that. And I don't, I think that a lot of times, you know, you have to bring on a team, you have to bring them up, but you're going to be the CEO or the founder is going to be your, you have to be the best sales guy in the sense that you know your product well, you have to be able to describe it, you have to pitch it. And if you can't do it, you're not going to find a guy that does it better than you. And that doesn't mean you can't find those, but I think that that's one trap that people can fall in sometimes. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's always about you know, with startup sales, you know, when you hire them and what is the perfect get the right time, right? It's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. So, okay. Now we'll jump to my second question, which is, so if you're talking to someone that's in the startup mode or wanting to get in the startups, just getting started or getting, or has started, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Yeah, I would say uh, focus on the problem and focus on whether uh, there is a problem where someone actually cares about the problem and whether someone is going willing to pay for you to solve that problem. No, and I think you're able to. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying that uh, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, people pay for for inconvenience or to, for you to solve that inconvenience for them or, you know, whatever that might be or whatever problem or business challenge they have. But yeah. you really have what to make sure you've got the challenge oh. And we're talking over each other. Sorry. Um, yeah. We both have so much exciting things to say. Um, but no, so I think that that's a, a good point in the sense, I think you hit on two things. One is find something that is a pain point for people, but also something that people will pay for, right? And those sometimes are the same, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes people, it may be a pain point for people, but if people are not willing to sell it or it's not a high enough pain point, you can come up with the best solution for that problem and people still won't be able to pay you. And vice versa, you can find something that people are going to pay for, but if it's not a pain point, then it's going to be a short-lived product, meaning it's really not solving a problem. So I think that that's certainly a good point. Well, we always run out of time. I always have so many more things to talk about and never have enough time. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been fun to hear your journey. I think what viral doing, not for real, viral, which I'll, I'll get it right, um, is, is doing is a, a pretty interesting and, and cool technology. And I think I, it uh, only has the upside from here. And I wish you guys the best of journey. So good luck yep. with your journey. Um, for those of you that are looking to uh, share your journey on the podcast, you can go to uh, apply to be a guest on the podcast at Inventive Journey, or sorry, inventivejourney.com. Um, and if you're a listener, make sure to subscribe so you can hear all the new episodes come out. And certainly if you are a startup or small business needing help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us. And we're always here to help the community. Thank you again for coming on. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun to hear your journey and we'll have to have you back on. And I look <laughs> forward you. to hearing the rest of your, or how the journey goes in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. Thanks very much.